Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Welcome, friends. We're going to listen together now to Psalm 13, a psalm of David, a psalm that he wrote in the midst of deep trouble and confusion about what the Lord was doing in his life. What actually happens? Does anything really change when you're in the middle of a crisis and you put your faith in God? Does praying about it make you feel better right away? Does it make all your worries disappear? We shouldn't imagine that all we have to do is set our mind to it, say to ourselves, I trust God, and then pray, and then everything will be okay. doesn't always go that way. And if trusting in God and praying doesn't make you feel better right away, you might start wondering what's wrong with you. You might start wondering if there's something wrong with your faith. Psalm 13 gives us a kind of close-up view of what it means to exercise our faith. The scholars call this kind of psalm a lament. We don't use the word lament. We might say David's complaining. And he's clearly complaining about God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? What do you think? Should a believer ever feel that way or talk that way about God? If we really believe in God's promises, would we ever question God like that? Seems to us as if a real believer would never complain about anything that God is doing. So how should we think about David's complaints? Well, we could say he was just being honest. It's how he felt. These were the questions that kept running through his mind, and he wasn't getting any answers. Whatever he was going through, he couldn't understand what the Lord was doing. It's true, David was wrestling with his thoughts. He couldn't get out of it. He couldn't put it all together. We have that too sometimes. Why does God let innocent people, little children even, suffer starvation and suffer in war and be abused? Why does God deal with me the way he does? Wouldn't it be to his glory to set things right in my life? Wouldn't it be to his glory to make my child better or set me free from the sin that I'm struggling with? Isn't that what God wants for us? So how come he doesn't do it? David speaks about mental anguish confusion and pain in his thoughts, in his mind. Some of us have that once in a while. Others struggle with that feeling, that that way of experiencing life our whole lives. We wrestle with our thoughts, and our thoughts make us feel like we're all alone. Things just don't add up. As David says, sometimes it seems like my enemy is exalted over me. And so it seems like God doesn't care. And when we're confused about what the Lord is doing in our lives or in this world, it's okay to speak honestly to him about that. It's what God wants us to do. Come here to your Father. Tell me what's bothering you. Because I'm right here. 
and I'm always ready to listen. So David is telling God what was bothering him. But we have to listen carefully to what David actually says. How long are you going to ignore what's happening to me and to your people? We can tell that he's frustrated. But don't misunderstand his frustration. He's not pouting like a spoiled child because God isn't making things go his way. He's wondering about God's promises. He's wondering about the covenant God made with Israel and with David himself. David isn't asking these questions because he's lost his faith in God. He's asking them exactly because he believes in God. He's frustrated because he expects God to do what he promised. And he's confused because he can't see how the things that were happening to him squared with what God had promised him. David's complaint is the complaint of faith, not the complaint of unbelief. By asking, how long is this going to go on? David's saying, I know, God, that you're faithful, and I expect you to do what you said you would do. My problem is, when are you going to do it? This is actually what it looks like to exercise our faith, to live by faith when we're confused. It's what Paul talks about in the letter he wrote to believers in Rome. He's talking in chapter 8 to suffering Christians. And these Christians were confused by what God was doing. He reminds them of what God had promised them. He talks to them about the glory that is to be revealed to us. On the day that God redeems our bodies, God has said, One day I'm going to heal every sickness and every handicap. One day I'm going to set everything right. And I'm going to give you endless and abundant life. I'll take away every weakness of your bodies, every disease of your minds, and set you completely free from sin. Paul says to those believers, we already have a sample of that glory in the work of the Holy Spirit, in the changes that he's making in us already now, in the love, the honesty, the humility that we see coming to life in us. So we've had the first taste of that perfect life. But now that we've had the first taste, we want it all. We don't want to wait for it. It's so wonderful, and we need it so much. We want it all now. But God doesn't give it to us all now. God's making us wait for it. And while we wait, says Paul, we groan. To use the word we used earlier, we complain in frustration. That's what David is doing in Psalm 13. He's groaning with frustration, with expectation, with longing, because he wants so much to see God's promises fulfilled. That longing, that's his faith speaking. And that's what faith does. It complains to God. It it expresses that longing to God. And God wants to hear that from us, our groaning, our complaining, our asking him to give us everything that he's promised us. God doesn't consider it disrespectful for David to talk to him that way. That's what God wants us to do, because it tells him how much we want what he's promised and that we take him at his word. And David says, Lord, remember your reputation. 
your glory, the trustworthiness of your word are all at stake in what happens to me. Unless you step in, unless you act to save me, I will sleep in death. And if that happens, then my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will be happy when I am shaken. And you can't let that happen, because you made a covenant with me, you promised me. And so your name, your reputation, O Lord, is tied up with what happens to me. That's what God has done. He staked his reputation on what happens to his children. And that gives us a lot of leverage, we might almost say. In Exodus 32, when Israel sinned against the Lord and worshipped the golden calf at Mount Sinai, the Lord was so angry that he said to Moses, Step aside. I'm going to destroy them. And Moses prayed for the people. But he didn't say, Oh, Lord, don't destroy them. They didn't mean it. He didn't say, Oh, Lord, I'm sure they've learned their lesson. They'll never do it again. The Lord said that Israel was a stiff-necked, stubborn people. And Moses couldn't deny it. But he said, Lord, think what our enemies will say if you destroy us. They'll put that on you. They'll say, you brought us here with evil intent. In other words, they'll say, you're a liar, and the gospel's a lie. Remember what you promised, O Lord, and for the sake of your name and your word, relent. Don't do it. Don't destroy them. And that's how David's praying here in Psalm 13. God's children are allowed to pray that way, to ask God to pay attention to us, and give us what he's promised us for the sake of the glory of his name and of his word. And that was how God brought light to David's eyes, remembering that God's name was at stake, and therefore God would be faithful, gave David light that shone through the darkness, didn't change the situation, didn't change what was happening, but it put everything that was happening in a whole new light. Listen to David now. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. David's confession is emphatic. The great reality, the great truth for me, is not what's happening to me, but your unfailing love. David says, I trust in the love that God has promised and shown to his special people Israel and to me. You can do that too. Just think of the way God dealt with Israel and with his people all through the ages. Think of the way God has dealt with you. And ask yourself, why? Why has God been so patient, so faithful, so forgiving towards such obstinate, selfish, foolish people as you and me. The story of David and all God's people through the ages, my story and your story, it's all the same. It's the story of God's gracious covenant love for people who don't begin to deserve it. And God hasn't only promised to love us, he has loved us. And this is the key. Focus on what God has done, and you'll have confidence in what he will do. Read his word. Every page 
you will read of the steadfast love of God for sinners who trusted in him. And of course, at the heart of all that God has done in his love for us, there is Jesus Christ. That's where Paul leads us in Romans 8. He says, We groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We say, God, how long is it going to be? How much longer do we have to wait until you finally do what you said you would do? We don't know how long it's going to be before these promises are fulfilled and we are redeemed completely from sin. But we have no doubt that we will be. Because God has promised it. Because God has given us the first fruits, the first taste of it. And because by sending Jesus Christ, God has done something to demonstrate beyond all question that he will give us salvation in all of its fullness and glory. And this prayer of Psalm 13, this is the prayer. This is the confession that God brings us to exactly by making us wait for our redemption by letting us experience the imperfection, the brokenness of life in this world. God makes us long for the world to come, by letting us see and experience the persistent and frustrating power of sin. God makes us long to be redeemed completely and forever, by letting us see and feel how much is wrong with this world he makes us groan in expectation. He makes us long all the more fervently for the redemption of our bodies and of all the creation. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, He brings this prayer of faith and expectation to our hearts and our lips. How long, O Lord? Thank you for listening. <laughs> 